okay, Jimmy, uh, let's just get into this movie. I thought it was balls. It's time for the moment you've been waiting for. You know, this is, is this going to see the light of day? Nick, I'd like to, I'd like to point out that Nick fucking started this with a text. I was like, Hey, are we going to do this podcast? I watch Bo is Afraid because of you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I would have watched it anyway, but I watched Bo is Afraid. And then I get this text from Nick because, you know, a little time uh, passed by. It's been a cut, what, three weeks? It's been a month. No. It came out on the 21st. I saw it opening weekend. Oh, it's for the, you. Okay. But like by the time I saw it, it's well, been a couple Well, for me, weeks. I told you to see the movie when I saw it. I saw it opening weekend and I was I like, hey, get go away see to see Bo- the movie. All right. I was uh, in, the, in the middle of a lot of shit. But anyhow, eventually I saw the movie and then I text Don't Nick. I was like, I'm ready for waste. this shit. And Nick goes, all right, well, th- this probably won't get released, but we can go ahead and record this anyway. <laughs> yeah, because I barely remember this movie because I saw it a goddamn month ago and I said, let's do this movie. And you were like, OK, I need to see it. And then like three weeks later, you're like, just saw the movie. And I'm like, what the fuck? It's been three weeks. Like, I Nick. OK. No, you know what? It I fucking this is going to be painful. You're right. Because I don't really remember all the beats exactly. Like I was trying to recap them on the way over here. So, no, the movie. If you can't remember what happens in your movie, the movie sucks. Not really, because uh, I think if you leave it right away and and you don't remember it vividly, maybe. But I remembered it pretty vividly. You know, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about some of the imagery and I was thinking about like all the the work that Ari Aster has put together. And I was just like, wow, like, okay, that's pretty, pretty interesting movie, you know? First, I'd like to say, can you hold the mic like this to your mouth? Like, every time I, we're, you talk? we're hand holding the mic, and I don't fucking have a pair of headphones, so I can't do you monitor wear myself. These he- do you want to wear these headphones? No, you should monitor. I am, and I just told you, can you hold the mic like this every time you speak? Not you were like, you're well, because like I can't this, fucking hear myself. That's why I'm telling you, can you hold the microphone like this every time you speak? <laughs> yes. You know, Nick, we got to invest in some stands, and why we, I mean you. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Do you ever wish that she was dead? What? Bo? Are you on your way? I'm on my way. I just... It's not safe, is it? I sincerely doubt that. I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. I don't believe you that you uh, remember this movie and all its cool moments or something. Hang on. Okay, let me back up. Uh, I think a movie that is good that you like you remember the moments from it even if you've only seen it once i think there are very few movies that i've seen only once that i remember liking that i don't have some like key moments stuck in my head from um i'm gonna give you an unfair example because this is a good movie but uh, mulholland drive <laughs> i've only seen mulholland drive once and i absolutely remember the diner scene at the beginning and the spooky old lady moment that comes out of the trash can and also the nice little montage where they're driving through the through the mulholland drive or uh the dude with his pool and his weird acting or the no ibanda scene you know yeah um Bo's afraid What's your favorite part, Jimmy? Tell me. You're tell me how much me you tell me how much you remember this movie. I, that's so. I it's call so bullshit, dude. You're telling me that you don't premise? remember a single fucking scene from this movie. Like when that's not what I said. Okay, you, but you're talking what I about said, key moments what I, leave no, that stay with you. What I said is I don't like this movie and I don't remember that much of it. And you said you like this movie and it, you also don't remember that much of it. And I said that's a problem. Okay, well let's qualify. It's a problem, remember. If, you, it's a problem if you like the movie and <laughs> you don't remember the movie. No, no, no. That's not it. Okay, let's qualify what I mean by remember. What I mean by that is that I can vaguely start piecing it together and talking about it. it's obviously helpful. But you just, uh, you, you know, you lose bits, right? And I think with a filmmaker like Ari Aster, you have to, uh, he's so intentional with the things that he puts in and a movie that's like, you know, three point something hours long, right? Like it's a little dense. So you start to, you, you lose a little confidence that you're remembering all the nuance because there are a lot, there's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of iconography that sort of uh, relate to each other, you know? And so I think it's, you know, yeah, we're at a disadvantage because it's so far out. But the movie has a lot of, 
powerful imagery, a lot of great uh, things that have stuck with me, right? Like the whole first act of uh, Bo in this terrible neighborhood, right? Like felt like a, a super jail live action cartoon. Did you ever watch that cartoon, Super Jail? Yeah. Um, and uh, I just thought that was like, that was for me, that was my favorite part of the film, right? Like, cause you can say that the film. Yeah. The beginning was my favorite part of the film because it hadn't really gone on yet. So I wasn't sick of it yet. <laughs> I really liked, I really liked the five minute mark because I had only been sitting down for about five minutes. Why do you my hate sec- this movie so my much? My second favorite part of the movie was when it was ended because then I got to leave. That was the saddest part for me. No, that was the best part. I got to get up and leave. I got, <laughs> I got to walk back to my car and go, wow. Well, that was okay. three hours of my day, three plus hours given the commute and the 20 minutes of the trailers I had to sit there. Why do you hate this movie so much? I hated this movie because it was uh, just classic, like masturbatory filmmaking, where the whole time all I could imagine was Ari Aster standing behind the camera or in the director's chair and being like, isn't this funny? Isn't this cool? Isn't this great? <laughs> like, like there's there's one guy who's like almost dictatorially in control of everything, and it didn't seem like anybody was there to tell him like, hey, maybe don't do this. Like, hey, this isn't going to read very well, or hey, think about this before you put it in the final cut. You know what I mean? I let this is not a fair comparison, but I imagine that this was made similarly in the way that like the the Star Wars prequels were made where like no one wanted to tell George Lucas that he shouldn't put the cartoon rabbit into the movie that steps in the poop because like you couldn't you couldn't tell George he's he's the guy who made Star Wars. You can't tell him no. You can't tell him not to put the Jar Jar Binks. You can't tell him not to put the racist Asians in the movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> like who you what? You're just gonna tell George Lucas not to go along with his unique vision? He made Star Wars. I, I felt like that's how this got made, where it's like, well, we can't tell Ari Aster not to like do his thing with this movie. He made Midsummer, he made Hereditary, he made two like back to back big hits for a twenty four. He's a in, indie darling child right now. We can't tell him not to put a giant nut sack penis monster with little stick arms and a smiley face in at the ending of the movie. Like no, no one wanted to tell him that like this has gone too far. Like this is overindulgent, uh, boring not funny, not really entertaining, not suspenseful. There's no like genre kind of word you can put to this movie other than like miserable. <laughs> Do you want to say something? I, I, what, okay. I, uh, you know. asked why I hated this movie. I, I, I told think, you why I hated this well, movie. Okay. You've, you've, you've described, but like what specifically, you know, about this film? I, okay. Indulgent. I could agree with that, right? For me, the word that I would use when I see something like this is vulnerable, right? Like it's clearly... What? What do you mean? Vulnerable? Vulnerable. It's vulnerable for yeah, someone to make anytime a that you movie? tell a story that... I'm assuming, right? I don't really know, but there's enough films that Ari Aster has made that I can only assume that um, there's like a couple of through lines, right? Across his films that this is personal. This is a personal feeling movie, right? If it's not, I'm sorry, but it feels incredibly personal. And to put even vague elements of something that might, that, you know, feelings that you're experiencing or, or whatever ways, uh, whatever elements like that, like, um, I think it, it, it is a vulnerable process, right? Like to put it out there and make a big ass movie, a long movie about it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's vulnerable to make any type of movie, right? To write any type of thing sometimes. And something like this feels extremely personal. Um, and I feel like it's, it's, it's really layered, right? It's about someone uh, that is struggling to be their own selves, right? When, when, when their uh, mother who has, they've had like basically a toxic relationship with their mother and that person has shaped everything within their lives and they live sort of in the outcomes of all that. Right. Before we get to that, I think you're, you're romanticizing the, uh, the inception of this movie so much, like saying that it somehow deserves some kind of like respect because it's a vulnerable movie or he's like putting his emotions out there and it's a process. Like, I don't give a shit, dude. It's a movie that I paid money to go see (laughs) and sat down in a movie theater for three hours for. I I have to be entertained at the end of the day. This is, this is a thing that is not meant for himself to, if he wanted to make a vulnerable piece of art, that's about his traumas or whatever, that's fine. But it has to do that and also be 
entertaining for people to go and see. And that's where I think this one fails completely in comparison to his other movies. Let's talk about his other movies later. But Midsummer and Hereditary, I think, have the same sort of themes that this one has there's a lot of uh gaslight gatekeep girl bossing in uh his three films so far but it is but the difference between this one and those two is that those two are watchable those two you sit down you have characters that you identify with that you are invested in what's going on with their story you're interested in the world that's been created and you want to see it through this one had the same sort of thematic elements but it was so overindulgent it was so self-centered that it lost any sort of um reproducibility at like the audience level uh you know, I can agree with some parts of that. You know, it's like it it, it is a it bec- the movie becomes a slog, right? Like, um, I think because there's a whole there's basically four acts to the movie to me, right? Is there what? Well, I'm just trying to think. Okay, so we got like the Manhattan moment at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, so right? it's him in the city, right? Yeah, and the, he, the, he gets hit by the car. Then it's the next act is him with the caretakers. Yeah, yep, that's right. And then after that, he's in the woods, I he's guess. He's in the woods. And then there's the mom. The mom. And then, well, I guess there's kind of that fifth one at the end. Or the lawyer, the trial. Yeah. Yeah, so okay, let's say it's five. Okay, sure. Right? Um, I think by the time the mom returns the movie becomes extra difficult because it, it's still, you know, or extra slower becomes a slog. Just, it just loses so much great momentum that I think it built up in that first bit in the city. And when we are with the caretakers, there's still a lot of interest that I had in the film watching it. It's like, where's this going? Are these people related? They are right. There's like clues hidden throughout. You have the, the element with the teenage daughter, her drinking the paint, right? Like there's just, there's a, re- a lot of really insane imagery, which is like something that I think is a promise when you go see an Ari Aster film and it still holds on pretty well. And even when we but get it- in the woods, like it's still teaching you a lot about sort of the characters and their elements there, like a, a little bit of, of, we start, we, you know, and this is so vague for me, like I'm sort of recollecting it, uh, recollecting it now, like as I, as I'm talking about it, but like, I think that, um, I think once we leave the woods, it, it you know, it, it just sort of becomes, it's, it be, starts be morphing into something else, you know, that, that slows down much more. And even though the imagery is great, like the performances are great, you know, you start to wonder like where this is going, Right. That's how. That's what that experience was for me, at least. When did it lose you? I, before I answer that, I want to go back to something you said there. You said that um, uh, there was a lot of crazy imagery, which is something to be expected from Ari Aster movies. And I would say yes, but again, with the crazy imagery in Midsummer and Hereditary, it feels like it, it, it. there's a purpose to it, that there's a function for it that is relevant to the story, whereas this time around, it felt like the insane imagery was there because he just wanted to have insane imagery for insane imagery's sake. There's no way. There is. There's no way. Dude. Oh my God. Do you don't think that like, do you think there's some sort of like thematic relevance or symbolic meaning behind birthday boy stab man and not just a lol XD random funny joke? Yeah. That whole first act is a lot more random, right? Like, right. And it's annoying. It's like, okay, let me, let me give you a specific moment. There's the part that, and this was the, and this also answers your question about when did the movie lose me? That's what you're asking. Yeah. It was at the point when he's with the caretakers or whatever, right? And he is on the phone call talking to uh, someone at the funeral, his aunt or someone, the funeral director or something who's like, you have to come to this funeral, right? Your mom's funeral. Um, The the will says that uh, we can't start it until you're here, blah, 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 right? He's like on the phone having this this moment that's important for the plot advancement, but also for the story advancement because it has to do with Bo and his sort of psychosis and his inability to like move forward. He's always stuck. He's running in place, right? At the same time, this conversation is happening. In the background, you have like the fat PTSD veteran guy who's like rolling around on the ground and grunting and you've got the caretakers who are like, no, Billy, don't do it. And there's like, there's like a, there's like a, a, a sketch comedy bit going on in the background. And it's like, why is this happening at the same time that this story moment is happening in the foreground? It's like, it, it's so almost ADHD that I can't help but feel like Ari Aster was like, just he seemed more concerned with shoving as much shit onto the screen in every frame possible than 
than he was with advancing the characters. I disagree. Okay, look, there are there is like because I think fundamentally this this is a film. Wait, 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 just wrap it up. Just wrap it up. And that was the point that I that like for the rest of the movie, I was like, okay, like this is what the movie's going to be like now. Every scene after that is going to be a scene of like where there could be some sort of development going forward. There's going to be just a bunch of there's so many sign gags. There's so many different like little props. There's so many different little background moments that are just shoved into every frame and it becomes so distracting and and so nauseating and impossible to like keep focus on that. I, I knew that that was the point of the movie where I was just like the rest. I'm I'm not going to like the rest of this. And I didn't. <laughs> I disagree. I mean, like, look, so I think that, yeah, there's random stuff in, in the background. There is sort of this through line, like, ri- like over the top ridiculous sort of comedy that's happening, you know, that, that, but I don't think that, uh, it, it takes away from the film. It sort of shows a little, it reflects on like, uh, Bo's life, basically like the chaos around him and the things that he has to like endure. It's, it's not, I don't think it's always purposeful, but I think down at the, at the base level, like this is a comedy. Right. Like it, it shifts a lot more, especially in the act where the mom returns or during the trial. Right. It becomes this in sort what of different ways, film. In what ways is this movie a comedy? Because there's two different ways you can look at comedy. You can look at comedy in like the classic Greek definition where like any movie that or any play that ended in a good, happy ending was a comedy. Uh, that doesn't happen here because it doesn't end in a good comedy, uh, a good, happy ending. So it's not no, a Greek no, no. comedy, yeah. but it's also not fucking funny. I didn't laugh. So you it's didn't not fucking a laugh no. any of the first act when he's in the apartment and there's no. a fucking ridiculous city. No. You didn't laugh at all. No, nothing. The, no, the only act. I don't that, believe you. The, you. Well, you're wrong. So uh, the only moment that ever like had me actually laughing was I did think the uh, the bit with like the caretakers was funny just because uh, the performances of like the mom and dad were so like, yeah, he was so like Ned Flandersy. Yeah, um, that was that that was good there was some good bits there that made me chuckle nothing in the rest no other moment had me even I mean, giggle i think the the most of the comedy is within those first two acts right and then once we get into the woods it starts sort of transforming into another type of movie right yeah but but like you can't uh deny that i don't know it's like that that whole thing is is present right like um i've seen the phrase like nightmarish comedy used to describe it like we saw that and then i've seen you know i'd say it's like a dark comedy or it has like heavy dark comedy elements uh at least front loaded into the film and then it becomes an exploration of character after that right because we do have oh wait wait we forgot about the flashback sequence is that when the mom returns or is that during the theater is in the flashback sequence kind of dispersed like when they're on the boat you mean the kids yeah the it's, it comes uh, back throughout. It, i feel like it, it pops up here yeah. and there which I thought all those scenes were amazing. Like, like that's the thing too. Is like, the, you're right that there is like a, an indulgent element to the film, but I think what this is is like uh, we're sort of this Ari Aster has produced such quality work so regularly that you watch this film with a lot of respect for the for the filmmaker and you hang on to like all the details and try to just take in as much as as you can because like you know that he's such an intentional filmmaker that it's always worthwhile watching it like was it the easiest watch no not at all right like um was did it get slow does it start dragging it it does do you start wondering what where this is gonna go absolutely but like there's also, uh, you know, an element where it's like, I can't believe they made this. All the scenes are done so well, right? Even in, in, in the slower, harder points, the performances are excellent. Like the cinematography is beautiful. Like the production design, like all those things. It just feels like a... I don't want to call it a piece of art, but I think I will. Like for now, like um, it feels like a very intentional film that is not necessarily designed to be important, but more an exploration of like Bo's character. Right. And then we we have to suffer through that when he does sometimes as the audience member. Right. He's sort of stuck in place. Like you said, he has like elements that are redundant. He can't break out of certain habits. He's constantly in the confines that have been created for him since his upbringing. And like that can be a frustrating process. And I think we feel that along with him. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I think you're you're romanticizing this from like a filmmaker's perspective where it's like, I don't care if it was intentional. 
if it sucks, Tommy Wiseau is an intentional filmmaker. You can't tell me <laughs> no, that the he's not. Yes, he is. He's very but intentional. He did not intend for the room to be received the way that it was. You're correct, but he absolutely intended the fucking flower <laughs> he shop scene. Intended for it to be great. Yeah, we all well, fucking he, want it to no, be great. He, it was in, it was it was intentional when he like you know walks into the bedroom when he pulls each drawer out from the dresser one two three top to bottom like okay that's well, intentional. He had an it's intent, in, but did it get received that way? And that's the difference between like masterful filmmakers and other ones, right? It's like when you're a masterful filmmaker, I think the difference is whether it's a good film or not, do the things that you want the audience to feel, do they translate, you know, using the images, using whatever tools you have, once a person that watches it, do they feel what you wanted them to feel, right? And to me, that's like a really difficult thing to pull off. And I think that Ari Aster is very good at that, right? So like, you can't help but feel that the film is so well designed that whatever you're experiencing is absolutely intentional. But my point is, I don't care if it's intentional, if it's uh, not amusing. That's fair. Right. Like, cause as an audience member, like you go into something with whatever expectations or desires. And sometimes when those things aren't met, you're unhappy. Right. Like, and I don't know if this is that type of film, right. There's a reason, you know, I wish it did better. Cause I'd like to see more art films like this. Like, um, but there's a reason why, you know, people don't really come out in droves to see these movies. I think earlier you mentioned you're looking at the box office numbers, you know? Yeah. It made, um, 9 million against a budget of 35. Yeah, I mean, that's that's hard. You know what I mean? I wish it did better, obviously. I did my part. I went to go see it in the theater. Nick did his I, part, too. I did my part, unfortunately. <laughs> um, you know who else did their part? Were these um, these asshole Zoomers that came in and watched the movie, too. They they just looked like a bunch of Silver Lake douchebags. <laughs> so, like, I saw this movie. So, my, my, my uncle and aunt had a, uh, a wedding anniversary party. And um, it was at, like, 2 in the afternoon or something. And because I was so convinced you were also going to see the movie this weekend. And we were going to record the podcast on a monday I'm sorry about that uh, i was like oh god i gotta see this movie over the weekend before monday comes around uh, because jimmy will surely have also seen the movie over this weekend <laughs> and sorry. been able to record a podcast about it so you <laughs> know what sorry. i did so i saw this movie at like 10 15 in the morning or some shit like that right and uh, about 50 and it was a it was it was in one of those like you know like when you walk all the way to the end of the movie theater they have the smaller screens in the back uh and it was one of those small theaters and it was mostly full um but i sat in like the very last row because there was no other seats taken and i was just like okay well uh surely nobody bought seats for the back row and then the movie started and about 20 minutes into the movie these like five dudes walk in and instead of like sitting next to me they like like five of them i guess there was there was no the 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 row wasn't big enough for all five of them to sit next to each other because i sat in the middle like a douchebag um and so then they sat on opposite sides of me three on one side and two on the other side so not only did they walk in 15 minutes late then they sat on both sides of me and were texting each other like the guy to the left of me would like pull out his phone and i would see him start texting and he'd put his phone down and the guy on the right would like pick up his phone and he got a new message and then he started talking shit about you i don't know what they're doing but i'm just like what are you what are you guys doing like you guys Came you think in, he's got a gun? You guys came. <laughs> they're like, you guys, guys by himself. I'm gonna go taxi driver on the Bo is Afraid screening right now. Uh, they were just like, I was just, what's so annoying? And just, oh God. And then they giggled a bunch during the movie, and that made me hate it more because uh, I didn't think it was funny. And then, anyways, that's my, um, uh, I, I mean, hate going okay. to the movies spiel. That's a problem, too. Like, uh, being in a cinema, like, I hate to say it because, like, I love, I've had some amazing experiences in the theater, but I've also had the audience can influence that so much. And if people are showing up late, talking, crunching on whatever shit they're eating, uh, it can really like alter the experience. I think, right. It can make you sort of cranky when you watch stuff. And I I know that's happened for me. Like when I went to go see Bo's afraid, it it was like a screening that started like eight 50 PM. Oh, it was like in a mall theater. Cause it was the only one showing it. And it was, it was just a weird experience. You you don't have to tell me which I'll, I'll censor it. If you don't want people to know where you, okay. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> no, that's fine. We're both we're out in LA right now. So I had to go to Burbank to see it, which, you know, it was fine. The, the seats were really nice and all that. And was the crowd the, was, was nice. The, was it the 16 or the 6 or the <sighs> 8? It might have been the 8. The 8's the one that's uh, in the mall. In the mall. 16 is like the, the big one with the Batman statue outside. Yes, I've been to both. And then the six is the one across from the In and Out in the parking garage. Uh, which any any place close to an In and Out is the no, way the to go. No, the six is the best. It's tiny. It's never I, full. It's I've never been there. Oh, it's sick. You got to go to the. I got to go to that six. one. This is an AMC Burbank Six Supremacy podcast. Uh, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, it's it. Well, that was also the only place showing it, and so I went. And you know, the crowd was fun. You know, it's a very specific crowd that comes out that late to see this fucking movie, and I appreciated that. But there's also those annoyances, right? That uh, you're trying to watch or something or someone gets up and stuff like that and that can really influence it or put you in the wrong headspace right yeah and i mean it's especially worse because this movie was three hours long it's a slog man yeah it's a long movie and i think Jimmy, question does this movie need to be three hours long <sighs> that, that's like a philosophical question yeah and i'm asking it um my answer is that nothing needs to be anything and doesn't even need to exist in the first place does the movie need to be three hours long or not does this movie need to be three hours long with the story that we're presented with with the characters that are set up does this story need to be shown to us over the course of three hours that's a question for the filmmaker but no it isn't i'm asking you okay like in in, well it feels fucked up to be like to not have written it to not have made it oh my god jimmy stop with the romanticizing about no that's important the art no (laughs) shut up we're not we're not filmmakers here we're not filmmakers here we're reviewing a movie we've just seen a movie we're talking about the movie does the movie need to be three hours long don't tell me about his artistic vision or whatever does the story that they present to us need to be presented over the course of three hours it depends on i think they made it the way that they felt that they needed to make it you know what i mean like okay now, well okay, i'll but, answer but, the question i say no it doesn't <laughs> one because that's too long and i need to go up and pee secondly no i think after about 90 minutes there was nothing new that the movie hadn't already said and that's what i'm getting at i don't think there was anything that they presented with us the character of Bo was completely he had already gone through the the transformation that his character completes at the end of the three hours within the first 90 minutes. There was nothing new gained in the second 90 minutes of this movie that added to his character that allowed him to become a different person. You could, you could have absolutely made this same story in 90. I'm going to be generous. Let's say an hour and 45 minutes. I think you could have, I mean, yeah, getting specific, I can start agreeing, right? Like, like, can you tell Bo's story in less time, yes. Can uh, there is there a version without like losing anything? And I think also yes. Yeah. So is there a version of this movie somewhere that uh, could exist that uh, maybe cuts out some of those slower patches, stays a little more entertaining? Yeah, but uh, you know, does it need to be whatever? Like that's that's like not with my mind to answer, right? Like now, if you're asking me what kind of movies I enjoy, like three hour movies can be really long, right? Like. Even with fucking Blade Runner 2049 or whatever, like, I love Blade Runner. I love Roger Deakins. I love Denny Villeneuve, but it's a fucking slog, right? And I think, I think the first, I had to watch that movie twice because I had to, I went to see it in IMAX twice and I had to pee during one part. I was like, fuck, you know? And the second part, like, I dehydrated myself and I tried to watch it and then, like, luckily was able to, like, get that piece. Man went to the, to the, 2049 screening absolutely boofed boofed blasted wasted you did schmizzled you did if you had you said you were dehy you dehydrated yourself during the 2049 screening yeah because i didn't want to order how many cocktails did you get no i was just like literally it was a morning screen screening it was like a matinee i don't know but my point is this is that i think that movies can feel a bit too long fucking saw avatar recently i'm not saying the movie felt too long i'm saying the movie was too long Right, right. That's a different thing, though. I'm saying, like, generally, I like my movies a little more concise. But whether a movie should be something or not, that's not mine to answer, right? Yeah, it is, because we're reviewing a movie. Uh, yeah, but but I'm reviewing it through a lens of my being, which, you know, is, like, filmmaker-oriented, I think. But you're also a consumer. You're also a viewer. And as an audience member, I don't think this movie needed to be three hours. That's my point. You hated the length? I hated the length, the girth. <laughs> the shape, the curvature. I hated everything about the movie. Um, okay, but 
I did. Okay, so like, except Nathan Lane, I like Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane was great. You I can't like fucking Posey. deny. I was too. really, I was really happy when Parker Posey showed. Up. I was like, oh my god, it's Parker Posey. You can't deny that Joaquin Phoenix's performance was fucking amazing. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Shut I mean, up. <laughs> it, I don't know. It was just one of those where like it, it wasn't a bad performance, but I, there was never a moment where I was like, oh my god, he's just so good. Like the whole I mean, movie, he doesn't really do much except he's he's almost like like saying Beavis and Butthead are like a, a great performance. <laughs> like he's just all Bo does this whole movie, just kind of like grunt and just go, well, I need to get to the funeral. Uh, oh, there's gosh, no way. Oh. There's so much nuance in his performance. Okay, I will give you that he does his arc. Doesn't he doesn't really change as a person, which I think is a point of the movie, especially in the last two bits, right? When the mom returns and stuff like that. He's he's the same bow and he goes to trial for it at the end, right? And, and the loses. whole tr- the whole trial thing was so awful. I hated that it, so much. It was the hardest part of the movie because, for me. and I, I think I know why, because the movie ended. Yeah. And then it kept going for yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah. Like literally, you could have I thought I was expecting the credits to roll like at the conclusion of like the mom sequence, right? Because the story had ended, but then there's 20 more minutes of movie. And I'm like, what, what, like nothing is accomplished during that trial scene that wasn't already accomplished and resolved at the, at the beginning of when it kicked off. I guess, I guess what it does do, that scene does sort of solidify the dominance that Bo's mother has over him. That's what that scene does. But she doesn't do anything. She just sits there and looks at him while, like the lawyer. Yeah, guy. W- but with her power, right? With her wealth, with her influence, with her. But team. did but did we not already learn that in yeah. the two and a half hours precluding that? Yeah, but I think the difference is. Uh, I guess I'm thinking of the beats here, right? Like, like it's it's Bo's world in the beginning. Uh, you know it's such a traumatic thing that his mom dies and it's, it's sort of explained in the scenes with therapy, right. Which ends up being controlled by his mom anyway. Um, is that he's within the confines of uh, his whole existence is within the confines that his mom has set for him. And, um, what's the word I'm looking for? And there's a sort of a conflict that you have internally when someone dies, you can feel apparently happy and sad at the same time, conflicted, right. With those two feelings. And that's what Bo experiences. This is like the beginning of potentially happy having freedom, right? There's this imagery that happens that Ari Aster puts together. Um, when we're in the act with uh, Bo is in the woods and he's seeing the stage play and, uh, you know, for someone to begin their life, it's sort of like this mythical folky tale that's told. And then we kind of go into like a storybook um, element with Bo and like the children that he has and the life that he could live. Uh, he, the man cuts him, uh, his chains basically, on stage and releases his shackles. And then later on in the film, we have a shot where uh, the chandelier that killed his mom, we see the the broken chain there, right? And the, so that's the connection between like the freedom. We think that Bo is going to have this freedom. We think that he's going to have this transformation and we, we get there, but then there's more, right? You can't escape this thing, which is sort of a theme that Ari Aster seems to have in like a lot of his work, right? Like with Hereditary, I'm thinking specifically, right? Uh, no, I would I would disagree. I would say Hereditary and Midsummer have the opposite sort of themes. I think they are, they are very much about escape. Yeah, but in Hereditary, he doesn't escape, right? I'm, I'm, I'm it's been a while since I've seen it, but in the end, we have that scene where he sort of goes into that treehouse. Right. There's like that body that flies up there. And then there's all the history of like sort of illness within the family or like sort of that that imagery in there. And it's like you can't escape uh, the things that you're like sort of born into or or elements in your family, psychological problems. Those things move on generationally and you have to sort of pay the costs that come with that. Right. And I think that this movie uh, sort of makes us gives us the false hope that it might happen and then takes us back there. Right. And Hereditary was sort sure, of similar. Sure, but let's let's get more specific again and talk about that ending trial scene. I, I feel like if you just completely if you're in the editing bay and you just selected those clips and hit deleted <laughs> like i don't think the movie's changed like what what different would the movie how different would the movie be if that whole last sequence wasn't in the movie i i don't i think it would be better i i just don't see what it what it adds like what is what is the usefulness what is the purpose of that uh, i think it's like solidification of dominance and um sort of how Bo. it's just sort of sealing his faith if, uh, faith, his fate in a more uh, dominant fashion. And I think that's that's what that brings to it, right? Like, is it a difficult scene to watch? Like, yeah, I think by that time, 
you know, I'm sort of wondering as an audience member, like, where is this going? This is like difficult. Like, you know, it's a long movie. So those, I experienced all those things when watching that, but I think that scene, you know, does that for the characters. It adds that other element. No. <laughs> you fucker. No, I think it, it doesn't. I don't think there's any. That's that's my whole point. I don't think there's anything learned past like the 90 minute mark. I think the movie basically becomes a redundant exercise after about 90 minutes. And you can tell me that that's intentional and that's the point and how it's supposed to be redundant because you're the audience and you're supposed to feel the redundancy that he lives in his life. And you, you're supposed to go insane just as he's going insane. I don't care. I didn't go to the goddamn movies at 10 a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> to be insane for three hours okay i'd like to if those men that walked into this theater and fucked up nick's viewing experience are listening <laughs> like you just you just threw him so off course you know this is your fault there's definitely like <laughs> no a, texting in the theater people we know this they tell you in the in the before the credits don't text beep, 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 don't post i love how they say don't post like that's a new thing now like they say like don't talk oh don't instead text, of don't text don't, don't post no they say like don't talk don't text don't post and it shows like someone like on, on a, on a oh like fucking really some app you know like the, the how amc has that just app. so many uh so many intros to the movies now first you've got like the you've been watching the amc first yeah. look whatever and then they do the don't post don't text right and then you think okay finally the trailer is going to start nope. but then nicole, nicole, kidman, nicole maybe. kidman first oh yeah oh i hate that <laughs> by the way um i'm i'm i've been over that nicole kidman bit for like over a year now it's really still on there it's huh? really and i'm really surprised but the thing that i'm more over i like than, it no the thing that i'm more <laughs> no. over the thing that i'm more over about that or than that clip is that people still think it's like funny to like clap when it happens or something every every time i go to the movies and it comes on people are like whoa and they start like clapping or like i fucking she'll, clap she'll man. say one of the lines i clap for nicole i think it was maybe during evil dead or something where like uh where after the nicole kidman bit you know she says it here they are then like these these dudes who like think they're so funny all like stood up and like saluted and i'm just like jesus christ like this saluted? Th- yeah like that may have been it, hilarious it's, it's become a culture man that would yeah maybe in like fall of 2020 you know but it's still going that's what i'm saying i'm sick of it why do you hate people's happiness i hate redundancy <laughs> I hate redundancy and this shit is so redundant. The the AMC ads with Nicole Kidman don't end. Bo's afraid it doesn't end. The Marvel movies they don't end. Living in this psychosis of like I'm living in the Bo is afraid world where it's like I'm running in place. I can't escape the goddamn Marvel movies. The the runtime we're getting of these somewhere. Movies. We're making a breakthrough here. Are we? Yeah. What are we getting to? Movies, is that why you hated Bo's Afraid? Because it reminded me of uh, Avengers Endgame Part 2. No, you were talking about Secret the feeling Wars. of running in place. Yeah, because um, everything sucks. I Is it weird that I fucking appreciate movies like that no okay so from time to time you know, me, i'm not i'm not l- dying to watch it right like i don't always fight for it for entertainment value you know but like uh, l- when they come out l- when l- certain filmmakers clear. uh release work it's it's like you kind of have to go see it right when james cameron releases a movie whether you're fucking super excited or not like it's always worthwhile because they're always pushing it and same thing with nolan right like i'm gonna be at that oppenheimer film at some point just because you know he goes all the way, and that's the same sort of thing that happens okay. with Ari okay. Aster. But no, but something you're missing there. Good that you brought up Nolan because I am on record as having saying that Tenet is the most autistic film ever made. <laughs> you, because what? It, it is. It is the most. Autistic I'm so fucking film ever nervous made. talking to you. Is, maybe we should delete this. No, that movie. It, I, no, please, it is Nolan. No, let me let me explain. It is. It is severely autistic. It makes no sense to anybody except one guy, the guy who made the movie. It's the kind of thing where like everybody's like but but mr dolan I, I don't know what's going on in this movie you gotta and he's just like 
what do you mean? You don't understand how when they you walk backwards into the backwards time <laughs> machine and they come out the other side in the one way glass mirror and they all dr- they're just driving the cars backward because they're on a different plane of existence. You it, exactly. It's like th- that movie makes no sense to anyone except for Christopher Nolan. And that's why that movie is severely autistic. Anyway, the point is, though, it's a good thing to bring up because that being said, I was really <laughs> entertained by that movie and I had a great time watching I it. Had a it great, was, I had a great time watching it. No idea what was happening, but I was very entertained and I really enjoyed it. Um, unlike this movie where uh, it was not entertaining and I did not enjoy it. And that's my overall point. My point is you can make like these weird art films. You can do whatever you want. You can you can tell your own weird mommy core trauma film. <laughs> mommy core. And you can do that. But you also have to like be entertaining at the same time. Let's talk about David Lynch again. I referenced uh, Mulholland Drive earlier. Let's talk about Eraserhead. I love Eraserhead. Okay. Yeah, it's, and it's Eraser, a great film. Right. And Eraserhead is a movie that a lot of people don't like because it's weird and there's not really a story and then it's then it ends. But you know what Eraserhead isn't? three hours long and so i think a movie like a razorhead works because it does the same kind of like weird shit that uh i'm using quotes weird shit that people seem to enjoy about Bo is afraid but it never gets overindulgent and it always feels like you're watching it with a sort of like captivation because the visuals are so strong and like truly dreamlike and nightmarish i, I heard a lot of people talking about Bo is afraid as being like a nightmare or like a dream world kind of thing i didn't feel that at all but when i watched david lynch movie Movies, I feel that dreamlike thing that people apparently saw in Bo's Afraid. So in in Eraserhead, when I watch that, I'm like, yeah, this is like a dream. Like when the girl with the big cheeks like starts singing on stage, you know, and then like the little things, like little baby things start like falling from the ceiling and everything. It's very surreal, very dreamlike, but it's like slow and kind of methodical. And there's something just about the way that it's presented where you do feel a little bit like you're half asleep and you're just like what whereas this movie was the opposite where everything was so fast paced and so <laughs> no, frantic everything you just described so, is exactly in this movie no it's slow not. methodical no lucid. it's not no it's not yes it is no it's not dude it's it's so it's so adhd it's so tiktok brained it is so just like boom 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 nonstop scene after scene every dude the amount of yelling in this movie there's like half the movie is characters like screaming at full volume it's it's annoying and it's like it, that's not the dreamlike qualities of cinema that's just being <laughs> fucking annoying <laughs> No, no, that's cinema, man. Like, no, okay, there is like that type of like quick comedy kind of ridiculous situations, right? That, that Bo is constantly finding himself with. Things are over the top, but that is the comedy that it is like striving for. And I think successfully doing, right? Didn't laugh. Here, here, here we go. I laughed. Well, I didn't. So it's not because you were next to these four men that were texting. That also, showed up. none of the jokes were. Tell me a funny joke. Recite a funny joke from that film. From tell that me, film. Yes. Tell me. Some, tell me. Tell me a There's funny not, moment that not, made you. This is not fucking stand up special. No okay, one's okay. sitting up there telling then jokes. Tell me, tell me one of the gags. Tell me one of the moments that you thought was funny. I mean, there's a lot of visual gags, right? Like, especially it's obvious. Yeah, it's ninety percent sign gags. There's a lot of sign graffiti in the first act, right? You know, again, the super jail reference. And like, yeah, is there sort of that ridiculous sort of comedy? Yeah, because we're sort of perceiving things through Bo's mind and the world is extra dangerous, right? People are extra over the top. Bad things can happen everywhere. It's sort of viewing it through this lens of someone that's like particularly crippled by the anxieties of, you know, of existing in society, right? From all the bad things that have happened to them before, from all the, from all the, the upbringing essentially, right? Why should I care? I mean, that's kind of up to you, right? Like for me, the, the joy in watching Bo is Afraid, which I'm not going to lie, and I've said it multiple times already, like, there are, you know, it gets difficult, right? It becomes slog, but I think that's by design, right? The joy for me is just watching uh, a filmmaker's work. They're telling a story that feels like a vulnerable story, right? Feels close to the heart. Feels like there's a lot of personal elements in there. And he's so intentional with his approach about things that you sort of watch it and just try to understand uh, what he's what he's telling us. I don't know why you hate this film so much. That said, if you... Sorry, I don't know if I'm peeking right now. If if you rated this film a 1 through 10, 10 being the highest, 1 being 0 being the lowest, what would you rate it? No rating. It's not a movie. <laughs> you 
such a hater, dude. <laughs> I, I, no, yeah, no, I despise no, this movie. I don't know why you fucking hate this movie. Because I mean, it, you shouldn't. The, you don't have the, to like anything. Yeah, but there was there was nothing for me in this movie. Nothing. No. No. <laughs> you're like, look at, like, okay, let me let me just, like, think here. Say you're, like, grunt for a minute. I can think what this movie could have given me yeah, in my life. think on that? <laughs> Okay, we need to do a poll. Can can is do you have that capability? A link to a poll? No. It just doesn't <laughs> exist. The tech doesn't exist. <laughs> no, there's no polls. There's no polls on the internet. At no. All. We we want to know what you guys think. Just DM us. Look, I think I think the best thing that a movie like this can give you is um is an experience or is a, is a feeling. It's an experience. Right. And like these movies aren't going to change your mind about something. It's not like walk, watching Schindler's List, where it's like you come out with a <laughs> you're like the Holocaust a, was bad. Yeah, you, you, exactly. <laughs> is that what happens I, when you watched it, Nick? I yeah, oh, I was all. I was so pro Holocaust <laughs> before I saw Schindler's Jeez. List. Then I saw Schindler's List and I went, wow, that really was a bad thing. <laughs> I changed my mind. Yeah, I changed my mind. <laughs> the Nazis were the bad guys. Um, so it's not a movie like that. It's a movie like, and I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just feel like I can't not talk reference David Lynch in comparison because I feel like there he does draw on Lynchian things. Ari Aster, that is. Um, but again, with David Lynch's movies, they are an experience that feel like they're in service of something that feel like there's a there's a point to it, and that I can watch. And even if I don't necessarily understand what he's trying to get at. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know what Eraserhead is about. I can't, I'm, I would be lying if I told you I understood Eraserhead, but I enjoy watching it because it's an experience that makes me feel a certain way that this film did not create, that Bo is Afraid did not manage to give me that feeling of, I don't know what's happening, but I'm okay with that. Because it, it was, in fact, the opposite. I understood everything that was going on, and I didn't like it. Because it was not subtle. It was rather quite obvious. I mean, the whole play sequence was, like, it was barely a metaphor. It was it, it was just telling you what the movie... It was basically, like, explaining to you the thesis of the film. And I was like, I yeah, I get it. I understand. And then at the end with the scene with the mom, even though it is the most thematically consequential and most important part of the movie, still, it's like the movie's talking to you at that point. It's telling you expositionally what the movie is supposed to be about. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, I get it. You know, I mean, come on, the whole yeah. therapy scene, the drugs thing, the constant anxiety, all that, the being trapped and controlled by the parental figures. It's like it's so not subtle at all. No. And so to make that comparison with David, David Lynch's films, it's like I, I don't understand them, but I don't have to understand them because they make me feel something. Whereas this did not make me feel anything and was at times just so in your face about it like again the, the play scene look okay this is like one of those dumbass like film school things where they teach you did anyone ever tell you someone told me this in film school they're like if you ever see a train in a movie it's it's like nine times out of ten a reference to the fucking arrival of the train you know, like the first ever movie that was shot you know what i'm talking I about call right? bullshit but, right well the point <laughs> is the point is i feel that way about like uh plays or like films within uh a film within a film. If there's ever a film where in the film, the characters are making a film, it's always analogous or allegorical to the film you are watching. And it's the same thing with a play. If you're ever watching a play and a play breaks out in the play, that play is some sort of metaphor for the play you're watching. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it can, it, because of that, it can never like be subtle. So once that scene happens, and I'm just, I'm micro focusing on this scene because it it just summed up how nothing was like subtle about it. Everything was so over the top with everything, and that's what made it. That's why I, I think it lacked that dreamlike quality that something like a David Lynch film has, especially at the end where like you know uh, he he's unlocking the memory of uh, being locked away in the attic or whatever and he goes up there and he's like what is it and she's like it's your father and it's a big CGI cock and balls with the rawr face and arms and I was like this is so stupid this is like like again and that goes back to earlier what I was saying about how you can't just like make a scene that has like a character moment without also shoving shit onto the frame and making it like random humor like he couldn't have gone up there and had a moment where he's like 
unlocking this memory by literally reliving it as an adult going into the attic and then finding his father and it is his actual father or something like that. No, it has to be a big cartoon penis. Right. Because because that's something a twelve year old would laugh at, but and it's annoying. But there is an element like uh, just going into like intention, right? Like this film is ridiculous. Like it, it is speckled with ridiculous imagery and moments. And if something serious is going on, you mentioned like uh, with that caretaker scenes. There's that PTSD uh, guy in the back, right? That's like screaming or whatever. Or there's a lot of background gags or prop gags or signs, right? And I just think that that's part of the DNA of this film, right? Like that, that this film is a ridiculous type of movie that is like a character exploration, right? That, that kind of goes into gory moments or sometimes goes into, uh, you know, like really comedic or ridiculous over the top. The penis monster being one of them, right? He goes into this attic and sees this, but like that is just the DNA of the film. And uh, I don't know if... I don't know if I'm explaining it poorly or if you just don't agree, but uh, again, my my point with that is that like I don't care if it's intentional. You didn't like it, like yeah, exactly. It's just like I understand that it was like on purpose, like that, but I don't care. Did did you see the scary of? 61st Street or whatever it's called. No, what is Scary. that? It was the the Dasha Nekrasova movie um, that was about Should uh, I check it out? Jeffrey Epstein. No, I didn't like it. But the reason why I was making that up was because that's one of those movies that came out like two years ago and it was done in like um, uh, the Italian, like Italo exploitation sort of horror movies from like the 70s that came out of like the Exorcist wave. Um, and so the, she... And people involved with that film, I I saw them consistently online defending that film from, from criticism, basically with the critici- with the with the defense that like it's like that way on purpose, like oh well if you thought it was like bad if you thought the acting was bad in the movie well the acting's bad on purpose because we're uh, aping the style of you know Italian like B movies from the seventies where the acting was bad and I'm like okay. But the acting's still bad. You know what I mean? Like, you can say it's bad. On, if you do something bad on purpose, that doesn't mean it's good. It means it's bad. It's just bad on purpose. And so with this, when it's like everything's so insane and so heightened and so, like, anxiety-inducing or confusing, even if it's confusing and anxiety-inducing on purpose, it's still confusing. You know what I mean? So even if it's stupid to have a big CGI penis in the movie... Even, sorry, even if it's like on purpose, even if it's intentional to have a big CGI penis, it's that doesn't mean it's not stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's like you you might enjoy it and you might not, right? Like for me, like it, you know, in the theater that I was at, everyone started laughing, right? It was like ridiculous, but also horrifying. At the penis in specific, or yeah. like just at a different. Oh. You know, and really? I think that uh, that was the intended reaction. There's like an element too, which I think. To me, this feels like uh, like an Ari Aster film had a baby with like Adult Swim cartoons, right? Which I'm a big fan of anyway, right? So I like random sort of chaotic bits or that, that sort of humor. And that piled on with this type of, you know, psychological film, you know, it's fun for me, right? Like I liked uh, seeing all those elements, seeing the penis monster, seeing, you know, uh, the first act with like all the graffiti art and stuff like that. And the people invading his space and, you know, experiencing that through Bo's memory um, or through his mind, his big balls, because he, you know, he just never had sex and he's never come because he's afraid to, right? Like I'm assuming that's why it's like funny. I I know he had a condition. I guess it's like ridiculous, but that's part of the film. That's like the design of the film, right? Yeah. But just because it's part of the film and part of the design doesn't mean it it like is inherently has some kind of purpose. I mean, no, I mean, the purpose is like ridiculous function rather. It it fits within the world that, that is created here. Yeah. But like what changes with the movie if he doesn't have big balls? Uh, I Nothing. think, they I think, well, that's the thing is like, that's what I'm saying. Totally, about how he's more gags into the movie. Than you can start taking story. away all those things, right? Like you can start taking away the, the balls. Right. And at that point you might as well take this other piece out because like, that's kind of not tonally what the film is, but it is this way. And I enjoyed that. It's just funny. It's just meant to be funny. Just laugh. No. Enjoy it, Nick. No. It's okay. No. It's okay to laugh. Didn't think it was funny. Shit doesn't have to make Not sense funny, all the time, laugh. you know? Which, it, it, and those things did make sense for his character. 
Let's talk about Ari Aster's other movies and talk about Ari Aster. <laughs> no, nothing to say on these films. No, you know what it is? Is like, I love those films, um, but I just haven't seen them in a long enough time where uh, it's a little more vague, even more vague than Bo's Afraid for me right now. Have you seen any of Ari Aster's short films that he did yes. before? Have you seen all of them? Uh, I've only seen one, the one the where the one, son is abusing the dad. Yeah. It's fucking phenomenal. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, rest in peace, Billy Mayo. Something wrong with the Joneses, or something like that. Something wrong with the Johnsons. Yeah, some shit like that. Um, so I guess that means you haven't seen the short that he did about like the the private investigator whose dick keeps keeps shrinking. No, but I'm up for that. Yeah, I gotta so watch that. That's that's like when a, did he make that? That was I think his last short film before uh, Hereditary. Because mm. um, I think. The Joneses, the Johnsons, whatever it's called. I think that was like his first big one at AFI. Yeah. And that was one that like put him on the map because that went viral on the internet. I mean, it's um, it's so out there, it, you know? It is, but it works. It really like, works. It really works. It's yeah. really, the performances really are excellent. well done. It's like super creepy. Yeah. Everything about it is just like, whoa, this is weird. Um, the private investigator one is about, the, it's told in like a hard-boiled style with like, it was the night of October 24th that I was on my late shift work at the docks. You know, like it's got like the noir element to yeah, it. Yeah, that voiceover while there's like a sexy, not sexy, but there's like a, a sad saxophone playing in the background. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's about like a, a private investigator who wakes up and like his dick is a little bit smaller. And then like every, <laughs> like it just keeps getting smaller and smaller. It's really absurd, but it's like 15 minutes long. So it works, you know what I mean? Like it's it's just the right amount of like weirdness in a contained. Like he understood this this joke can only work for like fifteen minutes. Yeah. Like you can't you can't do it any more than that. Um, and to bring that all the way back around to Bo's afraid, I think he's gone to the opposite end now, where he doesn't have that uh, self restraint to be like this. This only works for 15 minutes. You know, this only works for two hours. It's like the idea that this was originally a four hour movie and that there's allegedly a four hour director's cut of this film and that he had to cut out an hour. That's that is insane to me because that to me is just like, how, how is it that like, 10 years ago you had the the wisdom, the foresight or maybe just the budgetary restrictions to be like this joke about the dude whose dick keeps getting smaller and it's 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 a 20 minutes one and done can't yeah. do more with that whereas now he's just like oh yeah this story about this guy with anxiety and mommy issues i can do that for four hours <laughs> so what nick's saying if, if some super fan can make like a 15 minute cut of bo is afraid yes please but do, uh do yeah we, does this podcast need to keep going we have yeah no no, no let's fucking keep about. going we haven't even talked what'd you have for lunch <laughs> <laughs> i had the elvis presley special is a peanut butter with bacon and like peanut butter egg. banana bacon sandwich. <laughs> I don't know what else he put into it. It was a uh, you know like white bread peanut butter bananas bacon. No jelly. Uh, he had jelly in his. No, it was just peanut butter banana. What? Bacon. He didn't have jelly. No. You know, but you know, I can't believe you ate this shit. And jelly. <laughs> I still. It sounds tasty though. I could see this being successful. <laughs> I want my jelly oh. though. Yeah, but the jelly with the banana—that's odd. Um, all right. Well, before let's. It sounds like we're wrapping this bad boy up. So, rate one through ten. Bo was afraid. I don't want to do it. Don't be a. Don't let's be a not baby. do one. Don't through, back out. Okay. But let's not do one through ten. Let's do one through five because this show has a letterbox and letterbox uses one. Okay, through five. one through five. Yeah. <sighs> one. I would say for me, it was a three and a half. There ain't no way. A three and a half? Yeah, just because I, I mean, I, it, it, That's does, high praise. it does become a slog later on in the film, but there's so many amazing things about it in terms of, you know, intention and design and like all those. I'm, I'm like super repetitive and not specific. And I'm sorry about that because like I fucking watched this movie like. <laughs> two or three weeks ago um so we're not doing it any justice but um yeah i mean i'm sorry i just i this this had nothing for me i never want to watch it again <laughs> such a i have no i have no inkling of like, nick, maybe this is a little known fact again. but nick actually rates movies by boners yeah i give this no boners out of five out of five boners out of five boners. okay but i don't know i think you'll come back back to it i think you'll warm up to it like they're not going to make movies like this 
Good. <laughs> I, I hope they never do. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, Jimmy, for coming onto the podcast and making me talk about this movie I didn't want to talk about. Is this even going to see the light of day? If it does, it will be very redundant. Jimbo, oh, do you want to plug yourself? Uh, no, I'm afraid to be associated with this podcast, honestly. Rachel pl- plugged herself. What did she say? What'd she do? She didn't. Oh, she Actually, did not? No, you're right. I, I asked, I was like, do you want to plug yourself? And she's like, no. Uh, this uh, podcast was sponsored by the LA Galaxy. You literally Nick's ha- favorite you, team. You literally have like a short film coming out. You don't want to plug out, plug uh, your short film. Uh, are you going to actually release this? Probably. I mean, why not? No, I'm afraid. Look, man, Ari Aster, please show mercy. What other director did he talk shit about that? Like, I want them to show mercy on me. Or Tommy Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau, please, dude, please. Um, who else? Um, but but you know, my name's Jimmy, and uh, if you're no, never mind. My name's not Jimmy. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> this was this. His name was not Jimmy. My name is not Nick. This has not been the Hal Barrison podcast. Oh we did not watch. But I was afraid. Goodbye. Later. Oh my god. I say nades or navy, whichever one. I use the same thing. I say BPH, the black person older that transportates. Doctor. I say doctor, doctor. Whether it's T or turd, it's the same word. Abortion. I say aborty. A fun thing to do when you're feeling spooky. Lips. I say leops or leops. Flesh trap doors in between my heels. Trap doors. What's that doorway for? Something special. Let me tell you, Miller.